if you're able, let's stand uh, for the reading of the scripture. Um, we're finishing up the letter to the Philippians this morning. Uh, so it's Philippians 4, um, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Messiah, in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Jesus, living Jesus, thank you. That you, um, that you ever live to make intercession for us. And that even when we don't feel it, you're saving. Even when we don't see it, you're saving. That's what you do. That's your work, is you are a savior. And we thank you for that. And we ask that you would um, draw us a little bit deeper into salvation this morning. Um, through these scriptures and through the table. We ask these things in your name, Jesus, who together with your Father, our Father, and your Spirit, you rule and reign the universe, one God, now and forever. Amen. You can be seated, guys. So good morning once again. I'm really glad to see all of you. It's, it feels a, a little slim in here this morning because it's like holiday week. But I, pass, I pastored this church in northwest Denver for like three years, and this would have been like record Sunday for literally any Sunday that I was there. And so like I'm, I'm just ready to go. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so anyway, um, yes, 
yes. Um, so we're finishing up our series on uh, Philippians, uh, Complete Joy. You used to say that up there. Um, <laughs> we're, we're finishing, uh, nobody's doing anything wrong. I'm just, uh, yeah. Um, does it say it again? Yeah, it's back. There it is. Uh, we're finishing up this series. Um, it's a small little ancient letter that we're reading in what we call um, the New Testament. We're finishing it up this morning. And you just heard the end of this ancient letter um, being read. Uh, Paul spends uh, some time uh, thanking the Philippians for their generosity and like their friendship, their camaraderie, their, their relationship with him. And specifically, like it's like nuts and bolts here. He's like thanking them for support, <laughs> for like financial support, for like food support that they have sent to him, uh, verse um, 18, through Epaphroditus. Um, remember, Paul is right, if you've been here any length of time through the series, you remember that Paul's writing from like Roman prison. He's writing in chains, like literally. And we remember that the Romans don't feed their prisoners. Um, That's one of the bummers about being in a Roman cell is you have to have stuff being brought to you. Um, And so now it is with a really full heart and and now a full stomach that Paul is thanking um, all of the Philippians for like um, their friendship, for their support. And he starts signing off. Um, he's like, verse 21, he's like, greet everyone. So everyone here with me um, that's around, um, they, they send their love. And there's even people like in in Caesar's household, in the government, verse 22 is what it says, um, they have actually put their deepest allegiance into Jesus rather than into the hope of Rome or the hope of Caesar, and they send their greetings too. And then he signs off finally. He says, grace, grace be with your spirit, with your deep the deepest, most inner, foundational part of you, may grace be there, amen, let it be. And the letter is over, letter's over. And as he wraps up this letter, um, Paul is like, he's scratching out these words, we remember, on papyrus in the darkness of like a Roman prison cell. Um, And he we read actually words that he scratched out in the darkness in this prison cell, and they are words that will echo across the centuries and encourage and inspire untold millions of people and eventually make their way onto baseball caps and bumper stickers. Um, we can, it's Philippians 4.13. Um, go ahead and throw up that slide right there. These are actually the strange markings and lines that he, um, that he writes out on the papyrus. We, we looked at it weeks and weeks ago um, near the beginning. He, he, he writes, I can do all through him who gives me strength. He says, panta, all. You can see the pi there at the beginning, not 3.14. Anyone know pi, like to crazy amounts of, do you really, Joanne? Okay, that's awesome. Uh, You can see the pi right there at the beginning. Panta, all, and then I am empowered, equipped, strengthened, in, like through, by, toy, the one, him, like referencing, and then the very end, in dunamointi me, 
That's the one empowering me. Present tense, right now. He's giving me strength. He is equipped. I am equipped. I am able. I am empowered by the one empowering me for all things. Today, I want to talk about this bumper sticker slogan for just a, just a couple of minutes, and then we'll come to the table. I don't have much of an agenda today, but I, I, I want to look at Philippians 4.13 because I think a lot of the power of this um, really powerful statement has been sapped from it because um, it's become so familiar to us. And um, I thought a good doorway into making this um, statement like a little unfamiliar to us Um, might be to show the Greek up here, just to let you know it's foreign, Um, it's a little alien, but then also to just like explicitly state a tension that most of us might not allow ourselves to even think about. Um, when it comes to this verse. And so are you, are you ready? It might make, you, might make you a little uncomfortable. I don't know. I, I, I hope it does a little bit. We could say it this way. Um, Paul can do all things through Jesus and Paul can't get out of his chains. There it is. Anyone, anyone, anyone uncomfortable in the room? Because like that's, that's the rub of it. Paul can do all things through Christ through him who's giving him strength, and Paul can't get out of his chains. If you walk into almost any Christian high school and wander over to the gym or the locker room or something like that, you know what verse you're going to find stenciled on a wall or stitched into a jersey? Well, it's going to be this one. It's going to be this one. And what's, what's the general thrust that you think about when, when you hear these words being used like stenciled on a locker room wall or something like that? I can do all things through Christ. Well, like the general thrust of the way this verse most of the time gets used on bumper sticker land or whatever is that I can make that free throw. You know what I mean? I, I was throwing a football sidearmed or something, but a free throw is like this, isn't it? Sports, not my bag. Um, that's the general thrust is we can, I can make that free throw. We, together as a team, we can outplay the competition, the opposition, eat my dust because I can do all things. I'm going to break that world record, and then I'm going to become an astronaut, and I'm going to go to the moon, and I'm going to live my best life. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I'm not wrong, am I, in the way that like the general impression that you have of the way these words typically get used. Somewhere in our minds... Paul's statement has become that like we've got some sort of, Christians have some sort of like super battery that we can like tap into when we, when we like need a boost of speed. <laughs> I, th- I actually thought about as I was preparing, I was thinking about Back to the Future 3. You guys seen Back to, yes, Back to the Future 3. Um, there's like for those of you who don't know, they're on this train that's like on a bridge that's going to nowhere, and they're like trying to get the train, oh, the DeLorean actually, in front of the train, up to 88 miles an hour, and you can't, trains don't go this fast, and so they have super logs that look suspiciously like yarn um, or something. The props, it didn't, um, but, uh, and they're taking these super logs that Doc Brown has uh, developed in his super lab uh, in the Wild West, and they're 
they're throwing them into the furnace. And every time they throw one of these super logs into the furnace of the train, boom, like a huge burst of energy comes out. It pushes harder. It pushes faster. The train keeps going. And that's what this verse has become in our minds, hasn't it? That like, I can do all things and I'll just throw a little Jesus in and boom, it's going to like push through. And like, I don't know. I, I don't know really what it means because it's a verse that's really become meaningless because I'm not sure, because really um, it's, it's the verse that we pull out of the Bible when we need to throw something into the furnace, when we need to like hulk out and get our game on or something. Like, oh, I'm going to beat the other team. And maybe this is obvious. Maybe um, I'm developing this tension and I don't really need to. But Paul can't hulk out and get out of his chains. He can't. Paul's not breaking any world records from his cell. In fact, you look at him, he's not living any kind of like what we would call his best life from his prison cell, right? Right? By all appearances, whatever game Paul is playing, he's losing at it. In some of, uh, this actually gets addressed in some of Paul's letters, particularly like a letter like uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, um, verbal habit from an Australian professor. Um, Paul is having to address this reality with people. He's having to say, I know that there are people out there proclaiming Jesus, apostles, people preaching in the first century who look more successful than me, who are more eloquent than I am, who I know I look like I'm losing, but I am empowered he has to like explicitly address this reality. Someone is empowering me, he says here in this verse, for all things. But the tension's there. Paul can do all things through Jesus, and Paul can't get out of his chains. What, it begs the question then, what does Paul mean by all things? He can do all things, okay, what, what does that mean? Because it seems like a confusing sentence at this point, doesn't it? But it's not terribly tricky. It's not terribly tricky. Like any sentence, whether it be in an ancient letter or in a conversation or in a movie or whatever, the sentence gets clarified if you look at the paragraph, if you look at the way that the sentence is being used, if, if, if we just follow the flow of thought, the stream of what is being said, the meaning of the sentence becomes a little clear. Um, case in point from a movie, wax on, wax off. And it's apparently not about cleaning a car. Despite like in elementary school when I heard this, I was like, oh, that's about cleaning. I think that's about cleaning a car. But when you look at it in the context of how it's being used in Karate Kid, you discover that, oh, it's not really about, it's about cleaning a car and about much more than cleaning a car. It's about developing muscle memory and training and discipline and the surprising wisdom of this, of Mr. Yes, um, I've actually, I'm actually using an illustration from Confession Time. I've never seen the Karate Kid. Ah, no! Uh, some of you, but, but case in point, it still works. They, uh, don't, don't judge me. Um, so uh, this is the flow of thought. I just want to trace through the flow of thought briefly. It's going to take 
two seconds, um, of what Paul is saying before he says all things. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that you had renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to, he sh- to show it. He's telling the Philippians that they've shown great love for him by, by sending him um, provision, whatever it was. Verse 11, he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need right now, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. In other words, um, no part of Paul right now as he's like writing to them is trying to like guilt them or manipulate them. Or He's not trying to get more from them right here. He's not trying to get them to give more or send more to him. Even when things are impossibly hard, even when he's in chains in a Roman prison in the darkness and having to have his food brought to him, he has learned to practice resting content wherever he finds himself, no matter what his circumstances. And then verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And so he's, he's saying, he knows what it's like to be like, to live well-fed, to live in happy circumstances, to like live in the, the homes of wealthy patrons on the sea, Perhaps like Lydia that we hear, we read about in Acts, um, in the book of Acts. Friends that can take him in. He knows what it's like to live well and he knows what it's like for like life to be broken and askew and like things to not be, like I know what it's like to live in poverty. I know what it's like to live in squalor. I know what it's like and I have learned to rest satisfied through the best of times and the worst of times. He has found a secret, a secret to being content is what he says. And he is leaning into it. He's practicing it with like all of his being. And then he gets to verse 13 and he says, I can do all this, all this, panta, all things, all, it just means all. I can do all through him who gives me strength. That's the flow of thought that this verse, this sentence, this bumper sticker fits into. Paul's point is not, I can do all things, meaning I can hulk out and break these chains. Paul's point is I can do all things I can do these chains. I can handle them too. There's one giving me strength, and I am being strengthened for this too. We could say it this way. Um, I can do all things through Christ is a strength, is strength to carry a cross, not strategy to avoid one. That's... That's what this verse means. That's, that's, we're getting close to the heart of the gospel here, by the way. Um, I can do all things. He's saying, I've got this person at work in me, and it's not, a, it's not strength to break his chains or to avoid a cross. It's actually um, strength to bear his chains and to carry a cross. Um, it's a source of peace, 
while he's still chained. It's not power to break them. It's strength to keep going, even when there's no angelic jailbreak this time. He's experienced that too, hasn't he? Like if you read the book of Acts, he knows what it's like to boom, get released. And he knows what it's like to not. Many of us, um, I think, and here we're getting at it this morning, um, many of us carry a deep sense of shame, I think. Um, as like we're trying to follow Jesus and we carry like this deep sense of shame um, that things aren't working out in life, whatever it is. Um, like it's broken, it's askew, it's, it doesn't feel like my best life now. It feels the kingdom of heaven, the heart of the king and his kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus and the reality that he is bringing is not lining up with my reality right now. And many of us believe somewhere deep within us that if we could just muster enough faith, if we could just pray with enough fervor, if we could just flip the right switches and press the right buttons and throw the right log into the fire, then things would get done and God would break through. The good and holy things that we think should be happening would finally happen. What we want, what we see that should happen, our will would finally be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, after all, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. <laughs> Come on, let's get it done. And this shame, I think, um, let's name it this morning. I think this, it's the tension that we feel that Paul can't break his chains. This shame creeps in because we go out there and we play hard with the sentence stitched on our jersey and we lose the game. We lose. We pray hard, and, our, and the health hasn't returned. We ask and ask, and revival doesn't come in the way that we want it. We believe as hard as we can, and we're still in prison. And the, but I'm supposed to be able to do all things through, through him. And so we carry around the sense, I think, that not only are things out of whack, out of alignment, broken, askew, um, but it's our fault. It's our fault. Like if we, because um, we haven't pressed the right button, we haven't flipped the right switch, we haven't gotten the right faith mustered in us, we haven't, done, we haven't thrown the right log in the furnace. Uh, because if we had... I'm strong, I'm strengthened, and I could get it done. And so we flip-flop in our life of faith. We flip-flop um, between desperately trying to get things done and also a place of despair where things aren't working out the way we want. We flip-flop between our valiant, faith-filled efforts to, get the, to do all things and our inability, our weakness. We can't get all things done. And so we're, um, we're jazzed about the verse on our jersey, but it's kind of become meaningless because we, we lost the game, right? Um, we could say it this way. Prison is part of all things. 
Resin's part of all things. That's what Paul says. That's the flow of the argument. That's what, that's what the verse means when you take it off the bumper sticker and put it into the Bible. <laughs> like, I, I can do well-fed. I can do satisfied. And I can do hunger. And I can do squalor. I can do chains. I can lose. Prison is part of all things. Lord, help us. And so is cancer. And so is loneliness. And so is anxiety. And so is wilderness. The secret that Paul has discovered is that there is a God empowering him, strengthening, carrying him, loving him in the midst of all things. And he can endure all things. Paul's point is not that Paul is powerful. That's what we, how we distort the verse. Oh, I can do all things. No, it's not that. It's not that Paul's powerful. The point is that his God is powerful. God revealed in Jesus is powerful. And this God, if, if you've been paying attention to Philippians, this God does not look, always look powerful. This God apparently... It seems apparently weak. Read Philippians 2. This God is the God who appears apparently weak. He seems painfully absent. This is the God who empties himself and enter, lowers himself and enters into our darkness and death on the cross. Every place of darkness that the human soul can go, this is the place where Jesus goes. And God seems powerless there because he dies. And, and yet Jesus walked out of the tomb. That's the gospel. That's what we look back to in history. That is what we, we base our lives on foundationally. Everything had looked impossible everything had been impossible his mangled splintered tortured punctured corpse had been tucked quickly into a cave and his disciples futures gone hopes dashed have hidden in the shadows terrified of the corrupt leaders of religious and culture and government that had been toasting their ability to win every game, to do everything that they wanted to do. And then an unbearable Sabbath passed. The disciples like couldn't even, they couldn't even distract themselves with work. All they could do was just like sit through the day and into the night and think about their tortured, dead friend, mourning, lamenting, confused. Confused, tear-stained pillows. And then, slowly, imperceptibly, something changed in the darkness before dawn. Easter arrived. Sun began rising on a new world. A world where death does not have the last word. A world where resurrection is not only a possibility, but a certainty for everyone who trusts Jesus. God is powerful, is what happened in the first century, and life won. 
and the strange events of the year 30 AD outside the gates of Jerusalem, that is why Paul has confidence in this letter. If the God revealed in Jesus could endure all things and come out the other side more alive than ever, well, by God, Paul can do all things. If God can transform the horror, the shamefulness of the Roman execution stake into a universal symbol of peace and hope and love that we wear around our necks, then God can transform the prisons and chains of our lives. There will, this is the gospel, this is the good news, there will be life on the other side. More and better life than we can imagine. Life is going to win. So I can practice gratitude. I can practice leaning into contentment in all things, regardless of where I find myself. God is not waiting for us to flip the right switches or press the right button or pray the right prayer or believe hard enough in order to save. He's already saving. It's who he is. It's what he does. God is always already at work. And he's just just working in ways that we can't immediately see. He's moving in ways like that we don't perceive. He's, true in my own life, I feel a lot of times, he's healing more deeply than we want him to. We just like a band-aid, and he's like, no, I'm going to go really deep and get to the heart of it and heal you. That's the center of our faith. That's the mystery of the cross. Um, We could say it this way as we're coming to the table. We're invited to trust that Jesus' past is our future. Jesus' past, what he has experienced, and what happened in the year 30 A.D., that's what we're promised. That's our future. One scholar, uh, Ben Witherington, actually, he, put it, he said it cleverly. He said, Christ's history is our destiny. Christ's history is our destiny. It is good. <laughs> God, God in Jesus has already been through the entire human experience, and he's come out the other side, and you will too. You're invited to believe it. You're invited. This is the way I always... I'm always doing an altar call. Every sermon I preach, um, even though I don't invite, we have no altar, and I'm invited, we have a table, it's better. Um, you're invited to believe the gospel. You will come out the other side. It's grace. You're invited to believe it. Prisons won't keep. The chains won't last. The grave doesn't win. Easter is coming. God is saving the world cling to that. As we finish Philippians, cling to that. Cling to Jesus. That's what Paul's been saying this entire letter. He's been saying Jesus is where your contentment will be found because even a cross can save. Jesus is where your joy will be found because resurrection wins in the end. Jesus' life is your life. Believe it.
Jesus' life is our life and he's, he's past. It's our future. Trust that. You can do all things, not because you're strong, but because the crucified one is alive and he is doing it in you. His spirit, he will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his grace, as he says in verse whatever the heck it is. <laughs> the gospel is really good news. Yeah. And we're all invited to believe it and live into it. Let's pray. Band even come up. Uh, Jesus, thank you uh, that um, you love us before we love you. Your love outstrips, out paces, outlasts our love for you, and it always will. <laughs> because, because you are love. And we invite you, by the power of your spirit, to help us trust you, help us believe the gospel, help us tr- take you at your word, and help us recognize the ways that you are at work in our lives. That's a picture of uh, what this table is. Um, If you're serving at the table, you can come forward and prepare it. Um, This table, um, we come to it weekly because it is the climax of of Christian worship historically. It's not um, a sermon um, that's the climax. It's this table. It's participation. It's the, the act, the practice of coming forward again and again and again and receiving from Jesus. That is our lives. That's all we can ever do is come poor and broken and needy with open hands and receive Christ's life. His crucified indestructible life as our own and then go out and live in his love and love the world as he loved the world that's what we do every week as we come to this table and so um, in just a minute um, I'll um, you guys can go ahead and stand Um, I missed that part somewhere um In just a second, you're going to be invited um, as the ushers direct to come forward and you come forward with open hands. That's your life. (laughs) This is as honest as we can get. We have nothing in our hands and we come forward and Jesus, through his church, puts life in our hands. You're going to have, you're going to come forward and you're going to have a bit of bread put in your hands by the church And the church is going to tell you, this is the body of Christ. It's for you. And friends, you're invited to believe it. Again, you're invited to trust Jesus and his gospel. Then the church is going to say to you, this is the blood of Jesus. It's for you. And you're invited to believe it as you dip the cracker into the the juice. Jesus, we come to you, um, poor and needy in all kinds of various states of pride and prisons, um, success and squalor, we 
are beggars at bottom. Um, We ask that you would empty us of our darkness, of our sin, of every ways, of every way that we um, live that is not lined up with love, and that you would transform us into your image. We ask that as we come to the table, you would remind us of the brokenness of your body and that the world is broken and it's not immediately fixed. And, um, and that's not because of anything we're doing. That's the state of things. And we ask that you'd fill us with hope and anticipation of the day when you will come to judge the living and the dead and you will make all things new and your kingdom will have no end. Keep that horizon in our sight in our minds, in our hearts, and may it fill us with hope. So my friends, uh, this is not New Life's table. This is Jesus' table. Um, If you are hungry for Jesus, then this table is for you. You can come forward um, and receive. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. This is the body of Christ for the body of Christ. Come forward um, as you're directed and receive communion.